ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. As a society, we're only starting to talk openly about periods. Even saying the word period feels strange for me to say on air because I come from a generation where you only spoke to mum quietly about your period. You would never talk to dad. That was women's business. And you barely spoke to your friends about it. And you constantly tried to hide it at school. But now we're seeing more and more schools have free tampons and pads, vending machines, so they just have them out there and easy to access. We're talking openly and we now finally understand the reality of endometriosis when for so long we didn't even believe it was real. Menstrual leave has just come into place in Spain. So is the next frontier periods and sport? Women, especially around the age of kind of 13 to 15, drop out of sport never to return because of uniform colours and styles. Hello, white uniforms, we're looking at you. And how much do we understand about hormones and when and how to train during your cycle? And when women who train professionally, their periods often stop. So what are the long-term impacts of that? 50% of the population gets their period. So how can we talk about it and how can we understand it more when it comes to playing sport? Did getting your period stop you from participating in sport? And do you know when to take it easy and when to train harder depending on your cycle? 1300 222 774. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is The Conversation Hour. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today, Lauren Borden, joining you from ABC Grandstand. Lauren, it feels like of late there's been a real shift in conversations around, we're just talking about periods in general, but when it comes to period and sport, there have been a couple of key moments. There's been a swimmer who spoke openly and quite frankly about being in a relay team and maybe letting her team down because she got her period. There's been a couple of marathon runners and triathletes who have spoken openly about getting their period and it being visible through to uniform changes. Are we at the cusp of change, do you think? Morning, Rochelle. Yes, I think we are. I think it's becoming a a lot more widely spoken about and that's causing these uniform changes to start to happen. So you have, I guess, men's AFL that's been going on for 150 years. They haven't had to worry about whether you wear black shorts or white shorts. That hasn't even been a thought process. And now finally AFLW's come in and people have said, look, we don't feel comfortable playing with white shorts when we could be on our period for that month. So now this will be the first season coming up where they have changed. So as Wimbledon, which for, you know, 200 years, however long it's been going, they've been the most historical, traditional, we will not budge. And they've finally budged slightly to allow undergarments to be a dark colour, which it seems small though, but you can you know it will make such a big difference to those playing. Then there's the science of understanding your menstrual cycle and for coaches and for the sporting team to understand women's menstrual cycle. And that sort of actually now feels like a little bit of a no-brainer. I can remember years and years ago speaking to Paul Roos about what will the next frontier be? And he said, oh, it'll be mental health. You know, it'll be having a a psychologist on team and people really getting into the, the psyche and the well-being of someone. Yet right in front of us... 
there's been something known as our hormonal cycle, which we have. There's even, a, you know, some people from some codes saying that the perfect hormone level could break world records. It's the obvious thing staring right in front of us. It's fascinating, isn't it? And you see some of these elite clubs over in England, now in Australia, they're starting to track people's cycles and see when will women be at their strongest? When can Mm. we up their strength training? Or when do we need to bring it down a little bit? And there's also the other aspect of that is when are you most prone to getting injuries? So we've seen that women are more likely to get ACL injuries and particularly at certain times of the month, they're more prone to those because of their hormones. So that's another aspect of it, of when do you need to really watch your body just to make sure you're not going to get injured as well. Did you consider dropping out of sport at all around that time when you start to get boobs and you start to get your period? Did you think, oh, what am I going to do here? I never considered dropping out of a sport, but it did make things more awkward. I used to, you know, if we were coming up to finals time in netball, I used to kind of look at my calendar and hope I wouldn't have my period on the days where it would be the prelim final or the grand final because it was one extra thing to worry about. And I also do think that it does affect your performance. And I didn't like playing when I was on my period. So they were the types of things that I would really think about as I got nearer to important games of the season. So do you track your period when it comes to understanding how you train in sport? Would you like to see more uniform changes? All sorts of things, even sanitary bins or access to tampons at your local club. Do we need to talk about periods and sport more? This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today, Lauren Borden from ABC Grandstand. And we're talking about periods in sport. Do we talk about it enough? Is it still taboo? And what needs to change? Whether it be understanding your cycle and how you train, how you play through to uniforms. Sarah Lowe joins you in the studio as well. She's the previous CEO of South Metro Junior Football League and also the previous executive manager of the Future Healthy Group of Vic Health. Sarah, this is something that you've always been so passionate about and have made big changes about. We've still got a long way to go, though, don't we? We have a long way to go. And there's so much that um, we can all do as sports administrators, um, you know, as fellow females, you know, to, to help get more, more girls and more women playing sport. So what are some of the big changes, do you think? Or what are some of the big changes that you were a part of? Well, I know when I was uh, the CEO of the uh, South Metro Junior Football League, that was only a couple of years ago for five years. And one of the first things that I got asked by a lot of the clubs was, Sarah, why are the girls having to wear white for the home and away shorts? And and they just wanted some, you know, different colours. And I said, sure, let's just do it. So we just changed the bylaws. So it is as simple as that. It does take leadership. Uh, for such an important matter, we need to get more girls playing. So if it means a change in uniform colour, let's just do it. And did you have any issues, obviously, with coaches? We see them, there's still a lot of males out there coaching. Were there any girls that you would come in contact with who maybe just didn't want to tell their coach, I don't really want to participate today or um, Mm. I feel a bit awkward today because I'm on my period? Uh, I didn't come across that at all because they just didn't turn up to training. So I think that's, and I think that's the big issue. We need to normalise. I think I was saying before, it's 2023 and we're still not talking about periods and the impacts. We know, like uh, Rochelle was saying, 50% of women, we, we have our periods. So why, why is this still an, uh, an issue? 
This text here that says, um, my triathlete daughter is a participant in a study at Deakin about how her cycle affects her training and her energy efficiency. Isn't that incredible? And we're actually going to speak to a sports physician a little later about, I guess, the next frontier and the science behind that. But Sarah's called through from Morty Alec. Morning, Sarah. Morning, Michelle. How are you going? Good. What do you reckon? Do we just need to talk about periods and sport more? Yes, I think we do. And I just, um, it made me think about when I was playing basketball back in the 80s in late primary school, and we were made to wear bloomers, would you believe? Which they called them bloomers, but they were basically just big undies. And which is quite unthinkable now, but it was difficult going sort of from that 12 year old heading into 13 running around in, you know, mm. undies. And I had to wear them too, Sarah. Yeah. Sorry? I had to wear them too. I distinctly remember them. So if you chose to wear a pad, you could see the pad. Oh, I know. And you just had to think twice about what, if you wanted to play that yeah. day. Um, but some, somewhere along the line, they gave us shorts, which was a huge release. So things do change, which is good. I so remember that and because I was a netballer and our, a bad netballer, right? I say that like I was a netballer, but our netball coach had this idea that we should play basketball to maybe get our speed up to scratch. And then I, I said, they showed me the uniform. I was like, what the bloody hell is that? Is underpants. Like I'm not running around on a court in undies. I mean, that's just, it seems ridiculous now to think about it like that, Sarah. Oh, absolutely. And just, you know, I just think about all, all those poor girls in those days I know for me in the 80s I was uh, uh, playing cricket at a high level and and we were wearing those um, culottes and I still remember the the heaviest period I had and it was like about 35 degrees that day and I was so conscious about everyone will will definitely be able to see that I'm bleeding for sure the the ridiculous things that we used to wear. Carmel's call from Geelong. Good morning Carmel. Good morning Rochelle and Laurie. Um, I had an interesting experience on the back when I was training, uh, probably in yeah late 70s, early 80s, is that a lot of the time the misconceptions that if you trained hard, you lost your period. So if you lost your period, then you were training really hard. And, I mean, what were you? Were you performing? Were you playing? Tell us a little bit about what your experience was. Oh, I was a um, kayaker at the time. So, you know, not, not a... Not an overly, like, it's not like I was, you know, I guess running long distances and things like that. But but there was that whole misconception at that period of time that if you did lose your period, then you, you obviously were training hard for whatever event that you were training for. That brings us to some of the photographs that have emerged of late and a lot of what sparked today's conversation. Lauren, there was photographs, I think, of a triathlete or a marathon runner who had visibly got her period. And I think her response was incredible. She spoke about you know, how difficult it was for her, how often she didn't get her period. How important is it to, to visibly see it and to have those women react in the open and honest way that they have? I think it's very important. It's interesting what Carmel was saying just then, that it was almost like they were encouraged to train to the point where they did lose their period. That was the the peak of now we know that you're training well. And then you have these triathletes. Uh, I remember a London marathoner running the London Marathon uh, did the whole marathon when she had her period. So she woke up in the morning and decided she wasn't going to wear a tampon that day just to show that it's normal and that this is what happens, but we try and hide it all the time and I'm not going to do that today. So it's becoming something that we're starting to see a lot more often. Uh, and even though sometimes it, it 
people may need to look closely at the photograph to see exactly mm. what's going on. What was your reaction to it, Sarah? Yeah, the uh, triathlete, her name was M. Pallant, and I think it happened over the weekend. It was, uh, I, I don't know who was tweeting something about, you know, that the, the, this uh, amazing champion of uh, of triathlon, uh, triathlons, um, uh, had had a period, and you can actually see if you if any of the listeners are, are going in there, you'd have to literally zoom in to that area to see that she was bleeding through her swimmers, and it was just I was quite shocked just to read more about her story. She was mm. actually hospitalised, I think, two or three days before. She didn't actually think she could compete that day, and I think she did an amazing job. Um, I, I'm just curious as to why um, that male was looking that closely in that area. Yeah, exactly. This text, new period pants have seriously changed young girls' feelings about comfort during their period. It's so comfortable and it avoids that overflow situation, says Margaret. And another says, I'm 23 and I vividly remember the first period I got. I was at a swimming lesson around age 11. Thankfully, my dad was there and fairly non-traditional so I could tell him and I could leave. But I went from loving swimming and being a promising swimmer to not going back unless I absolutely had to. My swimming instructor was a guy and not very sympathetic and made me feel disgusting for it. Young women drop out of sport, don't they, at a certain age, Sarah, for multiple reasons, just like that text, but also culturally as well. Yes, definitely. We we find, especially in, uh, when I was in football, we really had a bit, a bit struggle with trying to get girls to, to stay in football, but the multicultural side and me coming from that multicultural background, it, it is a real taboo to be able to play uh, in sport. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I know in, in India there was the, the PAD project that came out in 2018, 2019, and, you know, their stat over there is that 29% of uh, Indian girls play sport. They just don't have access to, to sanitary uh, products. Uh, and that particular PAD project was excuse me, amazing that uh, a, a man actually designed these pads out of cotton and got the women in the in the local area just outside of New Delhi to make their own pads. I mean, these poor girls were dropping out of school. It's a taboo to talk about uh, their periods. The boys there don't even know what a period is. So to isolate those girls and to feel like they can't get an education or play sport or participate in the community uh, is quite shocking. Let's have a chat to Freddie. He's called through from Hayton. Hi, Freddie. How are you? Good morning. And I'm from Tatong, actually, near Benalla. Oh, apologies. What did you want to say? Well, first of all, I'm a sports chaplain, so I'm very involved with sports activities around different clubs. But the main reason for my call is your caller, well, the, the, your guess is correct. It's 2023 now, and um, boys do need to know about these things. So why I'm ringing is back in the late 80s, Johnson & Johnson had a evening where where the mothers were invited to learn about you know tampons and pads and things like that to be able to communicate that to their daughters. Well, I went along to this evening, um, being a single dad, <laughs> and they were politely going to refuse me until the class itself with all the other mothers said, no, 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 he's a single dad. He needs to know mm. these things to speak to his mother. So I just thought it may be of interest, but being a sports chaplain, um, that gives girls that opportunity to approach a chaplain in confidence, um, incognito, if you like, and to talk to the coach or the the authorities that they play for 
to suggest that this girl has got a, a challenge at the moment and she can't play. And I think education's a really big part of that. Freddie, you raised such a good point. And this is something that we were talking off air. I'll use the example. My And people that listen to this show regularly would know I speak about the fact that my husband coaches my daughter's basketball team. You know, they're nine. They're in the under-12s. It won't be long before they're 11 and some of them might be starting to get their period. So where does my husband, other than say maybe talking to me or talking to my daughter, where does that education come from? Because the majority of coaches in a grassroots level are male. That's something else that potentially needs to change, but that's a show for another day. Where does that education come from, do you think? I think it's making yourself open that you maybe mention periods just say it it's okay to say it and if you start normalizing it and speaking about that I remember I had a coach who was very big when we were younger or not being dehydrated and he would mention things like checking the color of your urine and we laughed at the start but then it opened up conversations about your health in different ways so if you're able as a male coach to just say look guys I understand if you do have your period it's okay you can just take me aside and say it to me quietly it's fine, then it starts to open up that conversation that you feel you can trust your coach a little bit better and you don't have to hide away. Harriet Brown's called through, who's actually an elite surfer. I think she's a, a World Surf Iron Woman champion. You never know who's listening and who's going to call this program. Harriet, welcome. Thanks for having me. And I'm, I'm actually from the Gold Coast, but a couple of people messaged me to say you should be tuning into this because um, this is a, a, a pretty big passion of mine. And um, I'm also an exercise physiologist, so the physiology around menstrual cycle health has been um, really eye-opening for me, especially in the past few years as more research has uh, come about. What are some um, of the changes you want to see, Harriet? Oh, my goodness. I would um, absolutely love to see the conversation be normalised, and I think that's a big one you just spoke about before is uh, there's so many male coaches, which is one of the barriers, but also just being able to talk about this, be able to track your cycle, um, elite athletes, Um, should know what a healthy menstrual cycle is and have that education around that. And that's something that I'm super passionate about. And a fellow Iron Woman, Lizzie Wellborn and I are trying to go into schools and sporting clubs and, and just talk about this stuff. There's a text here that says, good morning, Rochelle. Do you really think this topic of conversation that you're focusing on today is appropriate for an hour long discussion? Really? It's ridiculous. (laughs) What do you you reckon? Oh my goodness, that makes me feel really frustrated Um, and I understand where people are coming from because in the past it has been a taboo topic but absolutely this should be spoken about. Um, Every female deals with this stuff at some point in time and we need to know what's healthy, we need to know how, uh, like what is normal, what is not normal, when to go and seek help and also for athletes to, to use this as a tool to kind of work with our body and figure out how we can use this to our advantage and not have girls drop out of sport because they can't handle it. Yeah. So, yes, we need to talk about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Harriet, thank you so much. So you're in the Gold Coast. Are you competing at the moment? Um, yeah, it's winter, so we're just starting our pre-season heavy training and then um, when it rolls into summer, we'll be competing in the Summer of Surf and Nutri-Grain Ironwoman Series. Oh, well, best of luck. We wish you all the best. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye. This text, Rochelle, my daughter now 42, woke up with her first period in Year 7 and the day of swimming sports. There was a crash course in how to use tampons. Not ideal, but necessary, says Jan in Torquay. Rochelle Hunt with you. You're on the Conversation Hour. Your co-host today joining you as a part of the ABC Grandstand team is Lauren Borden. Also Sarah Lowe, the previous CEO of the South Metro Junior Footy Football League and the previous Executive Manager of the Future Healthy Group at Vic Health. But someone who's incredibly passionate about this is 
is Professor Claire Hanlon. She's a part of the Susan Alberti. She's a chair of the, the sport chair at Victorian University as well. And Claire, you've been studying and leading studies for years now on women and in particular young women dropping out of sport as a result of uniforms and of just periods being taboo. Where are we at, do you think? If we want to encourage girls and women in sport, we need to discuss this. We're, we're actually moving forward, though. What we found in our research, and this is with the Office for Women in Sport and Recreation in Victoria University, we found that girls aged 12 to 18, they prefer dark colour, lower layers and shorts and pants, and that's because it eliminates their anxiety with sport. Um quotes such as I'd prefer to wear dark blue or black shorts I have white shorts now and every month I get really concerned about leaking that people can see too much and that just that quote reinforces what you've been talking about earlier but you know we are in a a state of where sports are starting to listen and act we're in a moment of transformation for sport uniforms that shows how important it is globally there's changed the, the FIFA World Cup, what's happening there? Mm. We're having the New Zealand football ferns. They're ditching their white shorts to now teal blue shorts. We've got leak-proof underwear that the Matilda players are now going to be wearing. We have the Wimbledon dress code where now mid to dark coloured undershorts can be played, uh, can be worn underneath their white um, gear. And also we have AFLW, the mm. upcoming season, White shorts are going to be scrapped. So that just shows how important this topic is. If sports, sports clubs, associations, if they're not changing their uniforms and if they're not talking about this, they're behind the times. Is it just uniforms? I mean, Sarah... You told us off air that in a lot of clubs there aren't even sanitary bins. Correct. It's about the facilities uh, as well. And I know uh, Lauren was mentioning as well when she was playing playing footy. I mean, the just having a sanitary bin, having soap, having paper towels. I mean, that is it, it's just unbelievable that in 2023 that we are still looking for these basic amenities to encourage the girls mm. to to be able to use these facilities. Where does cost come in, Claire? When you know uniforms are expensive, changing uniforms adding change rooms, where does financial support need to come from? Look, having a sanitary bin is not going to be, uh, and you need to make sure that that's cleaned often. That's not a big cost. You're looking at priorities here and, and what's required, and I think that's, you break it down. If you think about the whole big picture, it could be daunting, but let's break it down as to what your organisational club needs. And it does need it, Sarah. I reinforce that point. In one of our researches, when we were looking at um, uh, facilities, we had um, one club manager who went up to one of the girls, a teenage girl, and said, you don't need sanity bins, do you, in your change rooms? And, of course, she wasn't going to admit saying yes. So you've got to really be realistic here. You need them, full stop. Work around it so you put it into your budget. That that's what's required. And just finally, Claire, when we talk about prevention and health prevention women and a large number of young women dropping out of sport that has huge life ramifications in terms of your mental health your physical health and then all of the issues that come with that this is early and fundamental beginnings of prevention of health isn't it ensuring that people feel that they can be included in sport 
Absolutely. Social, mental and physical health. This all relates to why we're involved in sport and why it's important. And that's for life. It's not just when you're young, when you're a girl. It's not when our age group, when we're whatever age it is, it's for life. And so how can we make it um, accessible for Regardless of who um, we're looking at, we need to make sure it's there and, and for it to be open and for people to feel comfortable that they can go to a facility knowing that what they need, yeah. it's there for them. Thank you so much for the work that you do and the research that you do as well. It's really incredible that people have access to that. Professor Claire Hanlon, she's from the Susan Alberti Women in Sport and she's the chair there of Victoria University. You're with Rochelle Hunt. We are talking periods in sport today. Lauren Borden from ABC Grandstand is your co-host and also in the studio, Sarah Lowe, who's previously the CEO of South Metro Junior Footy League. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Good morning, my name's Rochelle Hunt. Your co-host today is Lauren Borden, joining you from ABC Grandstand. We are talking periods and sport. We've touched a lot on the uniforms, but then there's understanding and tracking your menstrual cycle to know when to train and how to train. You've played footy, you've played netball. Is it something, Lauren, that you ever thought about? Not as a recreational player did I ever think about ever worrying about anything like that, but it's probably as I've got older without even tracking, without even reading studies about it, I started to realise that that certain days I felt like I could train more and the next day I'd go, why can't I uh, run as far or what's the reason for that? And then you start to see studies come out and realise it is a thing and it's something that um, probably you'd think that a lot of elite sports are starting Mm. to look at that and work out ways that they can manage hormones. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, there's a text here that says this is so appropriate and this needs to be discussed and understood. My daughter ruptured her ACL last year. We had no idea, but there was a connection with her menstrual cycle Then it could have been avoided. Mark's called through from Gisborne. Hi, Mark. Go. Yes. Um, I, I, I coach a lot of uh, young athletes and I find that what works is uh, you talk to the, obviously talk to the parents first and uh, get get understanding if, if the athlete's about to have go through their first cycle. And then uh, unless the athlete goes there with you, I, I, I communicate through the parent and I find that works a lot. And uh, the sport I'm involved in athletics has been very proactive in uniforms for a long, long time. Uh, <laughs> most of the clubs wear black black shorts and, and strips for the kids, yeah. What kind of response do you get from parents, for example, Mark, when you say, hey, look, I'm... I, gonna... I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm very delicate about it. Yeah. Uh, I basically... Have to you know, how I word it is. Look, I know this is a very personal subject, but it will affect you know, the athlete's performance. So, when it's about to happen, can you can we just have a discussion if you're comfortable with that? If they're not, well, I, I just don't go there. So, but that never happens. It's never happened to me. So, I think the parents appreciate you you taking that tact. Uh, they and might where did the uncomfortable from you? Where did that motivation for you? Like, was there someone? Did you read something? Did you see someone? Like, because this, it, uh, I'm, I'm I'm fairly well qualified in in the sport of coaching, and I'm I'm proactive in in coaching in different ways. So uh, I'm pretty detailed in everything. So uh, and that's just part of performance level, whether it's diet, dehydration, mental mm-hmm. health, trying to get into that area, um, and also when you had the mindfulness lady on yesterday. Uh, you know, how, how you coach, you know, it's mm. just part of your coaching, being a professional. Could it be your winning edge, do you reckon, Mark? 
Definitely, yeah, yeah. What I've, the studies I've read, I'm not an expert on it, but oh, yeah, definitely. I think the athletes get to know their body and, and get to know how to handle the period. That's what I've found a lot of the girls are, have been very good at. They've done their own self-type research, um, and then they tend to understand why they have a bad performance um, or their performance mm. is elevated because of the process. It's really good to know that. Good on you. Thanks so much for calling. Noel has sent a text and says, Rochelle and guests, I'm in my 70s now and it's been years since I've had to deal with this issue, but I can still remember getting my mother to write notes to the PE teacher in the 1960s asking permission for me to sit out each lesson each month. A lot of girls in my class did it too. Nothing much has changed in 60 years. What do you think, Sarah? Yes, I, uh, I I wish I'd had my little cycle tracker. I'm just looking at it now. I'll, I'll tell everyone. I just had my period finished two days ago. And, and I, I like can't... I a round of applause. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. The whole of Victoria now knows. Uh, but reading my cycle scope, I'm in day nine, and I love this. To- those rising estrogen levels will have you feeling on top of the world today, girl. And um, I wish I had this when I was 13, when I was playing sport. You know, I'd... I love sports so much. I just played right through the pain, the uncomfortableness and remembering wearing those tracksuit pants and anything to hide um, that I had it. But, um, you know, there's just so much education that still needs to be done uh, in this area. And understanding that. Dr. Jacqueline Voloshki is a gynaecologist and obstetrician at Cabrini. Jacqueline, I mean, we've just heard from male coaches through to women who are in their 70s. All, and some people say nothing has changed. But then at the same time, I feel like stuff is changing because we do have young male coaches ringing in saying, I'm openly talking to parents about their children and when they have their period and how we can help and how we can work through their menstrual cycle do we need to understand it more so that we can be safe when we play sport yeah look i think they're like lots of things with women's health needs to be more investment more funding more education and more dialogue um about it um i remember and a lot of these um really educated people have spoken about going you know the period shame and hiding a a pad up your sleeve when you go to the toilet um and someone who's messaged in saying you know we don't need an hour on it well we do we need more than an hour on it we need to uh, inform women and girls um, and people that have uteruses about their bodies and what they're capable of um, and how exercise can be helpful for managing pain and when pain is not a normal thing and when to seek help, when to see a doctor. And Dr Jacqueline, we've talked a little bit about how elite athletes sometimes get to the point where they don't have their period anymore. You've worked with some elite athletes. What's it like dealing with them when they're in the prime of their sporting career but that's also the prime time when they could be having children? So how do you manage those thoughts? Mm-hmm. Well, look, um, fortunately, there's a lot more um, information out there about uh, egg freezing and fertility preservation and things like that. Um, there's, I would say that, that fertility peaks yeah, roughly around the same time as athletes are in their prime um, and priorities are often a bit different, um, but that you do, you do have the option to kind of put things on ice, um, more or less. Um, but there just needs to be dialogue about it and um, taking people aside and go, hey, do you know that this is an option? We had a fascinating text earlier talking about how it was almost seen as a an element of pride if you stopped getting your period because it meant that mm, you were training mm, really hard, mm. yeah? You were obviously doing everything right and getting your period is a sign of weakness when you're <laughs> at a certain level. Is that something that you still encounter? 
That's a really interesting point because um, I see a lot of people who still menstruate monthly that um, are incredibly competitive and incredibly fit and people that do what some athletes might consider to be a relatively low level of training that um, have stopped menstruating. So whilst there is an increased risk, um, a, most people would, would still menstruate despite um, competing and uh, performing at a high level. And there probably is a bit of stigma there still that if you are menstruating, you're not um, busting your gut enough, um, but it, it's, it's incorrect. Wait, and there, there are, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I was going to say that with um, lack of menstruation, there, is, there are risks of low estrogen and high risks of fractures and injuries yeah. and things like that. Yeah, well, I mean, we had a text before connecting an ACL. ACL, yeah. Is that like is that common? Well, look, I, being that I don't see people for sporting injuries, course, I see yes. for gynecological. I can't speak to to that question. Um, but it wouldn't, yeah, that doesn't surprise you. No, no, it doesn't. There's a text here that says this is such an important topic for discussion, not only sports-specific conversation, but in general. I'm a mum of two young children and I only now fully understand my period. It was never discussed growing up and I hope to pave a new way for my daughter. Language needs to change around a woman's mood at the time of her month. People need to be educated about hormone changes and how it affects women. I'm 38 and I'm only just and understanding my own hormone imbalance around my period and I'm now supporting with a fantastic naturopath and a GP. As well, we need to keep this conversation going. That's from Pip, who's in Lake Bolac. Understanding our period and our cycle, Jacqueline, are you finding that more, not just athletes, but more women in general, you know, like Sarah, have got their tracker and, and are understanding what's happening to them each month? I absolutely love that because information is power and uh, um, one of the advantages of technology and wearable apps um, and inputting data is to then get a better understanding of your own body and your own cycle. Um, and I've had many women, not necessarily athletes, but just come to me later in life going, I want to understand my body. I want to know what's happening. I, you know, let, let's talk, use appropriate terminology. Um, so I think that's fantastic. Thank you so much for the work that you do. It's, it's incredible and it's so important. Dr. Jacqueline Voloshki, she's a gynecologist and obstetrician at Cabrini. Rebecca's been waiting patiently in Malden. Good morning. Hi, how are you? Yeah, well, what did you want to say? Yeah, look, I love this topic. I am such an advocate for kids in sport and I live in a, a country town and I'm trying to work with our local schools just to try and keep the momentum of children turning up to sport because within our local district of sport, we're seeing fewer and fewer. We're, we're, we're having more and more buys because kids just aren't turning up to local football and netball. Um, so thank you for this topic to begin with. Um, I rang a friend of mine and I said, are you listening to the radio? And now her boys are horse riding. And she said, can you ring them? She's at work today and said, can you just tell them that um, Pony Club Australia has actually just implemented a change in their policy that the, the kids don't have to wear white breeches anymore and that they can wear dark coloured breeches. So um, the message is getting out there wow. and it's just fantastic. Well, Sarah's clapping at the moment to that. It's really important, Sarah, isn't it? And I think um, that text, Rebecca, thank you, of just not understanding just in sport but just generally in society. I mean, I'm a Gen Xer and you kind of whispered it. 
You know? Absolutely. And, you know, I don't know about... I, throughout this whole session, I've been thinking about all the ways I used to hide that uh, I couldn't wear tampons, but uh, how, how many ways to hide your pad? Mm-hmm. And then it rustles so much in the toilet and, and as girls and as girlfriends, why aren't we talking about it? We were all so embarrassed and, you know, there's nothing worse than dropping it on the floor and it's like, oh, all, I rang these... my mum to come and pick me up because yes. I first got mine when I was on holidays with my cousins and I was too embarrassed to even tell my auntie who I get along with really well so I walked all the way down to a phone box right rang my mum and made her drive two hours and she brought a big bag of stuff and my auntie's like why didn't you just tell me I'm like oh well but there was no conversation around but bless my dad came too he was so he was like all right well this is a big day (laughs) we're all heading to cows but this is how it's changed and how it hasn't changed sport and period whether it be dropping out or whether you're seeing a change where you play sport this is the conversation hour on abc radio melbourne and victoria Good morning, my name is Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today, Lauren Borden, joining you from ABC Grandstand. Sarah Lowe with you as well. Everything from tracking your hormones, getting your period and understanding it, maybe that's your winning edge in sport, sanitary bins, tampons in toilets, changing the uniforms, all of these things which seem like no-brainers. Dr Rachel Harris is a sport and exercise physician and... Rachel, you've also been a, a professional athlete. You've been a professional swimmer, competed in both the Commonwealth and the Olympic Games. You're now, I guess, looking at the almost the science behind this. What would you have liked to have been done differently when you were performing as a, an elite athlete? Yeah, hi, Rochelle, and thanks for having me. Look, I think probably the biggest thing and the thing that we're trying to change most at the moment and that has already been talked about today is that basics of education, so improving the health literacy and normalisation of conversations around such important topics as the menstrual cycle. Um, So, uh, you know, that didn't happen um, 25 years ago when I was an athlete. It's starting to happen now. The wheels are turning, but we really just need to make people more comfortable about this incredibly normal and empowering experience that happens to um, you know, to women that are impacted by female sex hormones. You're starting to have the conversations now, Rachel. You mentioned, you know, when you were competing, you didn't have those. Have you seen a difference now with female athletes who are trying to control their hormones so they're at their peak when they are mm-hmm. about to compete? Yeah, look, absolutely. So um, I'm leading a project at the Australian Institute of Sport called the Female Performance and Health Initiative. And one of the really big things is that we wanted to be able to assist people to get, um, you know, the best quality of evidence about what's happening at different times of the month and how it might be changing them. And one of the really difficult parts about giving people advice about that is that there really isn't um, great high quality research out there that can demonstrate significant changes to people at different parts of the cycle. And one of the really important things for us to remember is that there is so much individual variation in the lived experience of every woman and then how their menstrual cycle impacts them. So people might have medical conditions such as polycystic ovarian syndrome or endometriosis. They might be on hormonal contraception. They might have a 25-day cycle. They might have a 35-day mm. cycle. And you just know that you know what you've experienced with your menstrual cycle can be so different to what your sister has experienced or your you know your best friend has experienced. And so that really incredible individual variation is something that we really need to take into account. And I love what um, you know your previous caller was talking about in terms of menstrual cycle tracking. It's such an important thing for us to do to understand what happens to you as an individual over your monthly cycle because that's the important thing. We can't make any broad sweeping statements about 
about generalising what happens to everyone in their menstrual cycle because there is that such incredible individual variation. There's some research that I was reading and, of course, leading into the next Olympic Games and some of the next big major events that was saying that you could and if you knew how to track it and if you found your perfect hormone level, you could break world records. So just understanding, I mean, it would have to be on the timing of the Olympics and you'd have to get your hand on the scheduling and stuff, <laughs> try and work out a few things. But it could it could lead to being that winning edge, Rachel. Yeah, absolutely. And look, one of the um, the really interesting bits of research that we did through um, our Olympic and Paralympic athletes in the Tokyo cycle was we asked them when would they like to compete in their gold medal game or their gold medal final, um, you know, gold medal race, whatever it was. Um, and we had people that actually selected every single phase of their menstrual cycle to say that is the time that I want to compete. So it could have been when they were on their period. It could have been just before, just after. Um, so, you know, everybody feels like uh, it feels amazing at different parts of that. And I think really changing that narrative from the menstrual cycle is a really negative experience to the to the fact that this is actually really positive and, and different parts of our cycle can be great for us. Um, you know, there's certainly some people that feel fantastic when they're about to ovulate and, you know, different hormones are surging. There are people that feel really, you know, a lot better because their symptoms are controlled mm-hmm. at different parts of the cycle. So, again, it's really individual. There are some people that are impacted so significantly by their symptoms that they need to be on a form of hormonal contraception, um, you know, to control those uh, significant symptomatology. So, um, again, it's incredibly individualised. I think understanding, again, your individual hormonal fluctuations and how they impact you, um, that's that's the powerful part. And so then starting to harness that for you as an individual can be, you know, I think we need to be just changing this narrative puberty going through the menstrual cycle our bodies changing is a really positive experience um, and we can be harnessing that power to be performing better hey rachel it's sarah here i've actually got your uh, bit of online questionnaires that you did at that tokyo olympics and re- yeah. really interesting just that that what is it two out of three athletes call for more focus on that education and also uh, exactly what you're talking about that cycle tracking is so important because I think the big thing I took out of this is that every person is an individual Mm. and I think having those three different forms of, you know, before, during and after um, as a preference, I think highlights that that differences in, in the individual's. Mm, absolutely. And there's so many other factors that come into it as well. The caller that called in before about, you know, the changing of equestrian requirements in terms of clothing. Like there are yeah. some some women that, you know, feel really concerned and worried and, and are impacted psychologically if they're menstruating at a particular time because of the uniform that they have to wear. Mm. They might be in bathers. They might be, you know, doing gymnastics and tumbling around and are worried about it. So, um, you know, there's so many other factors that come into it. It's not just hormonal. This has brought back think, all of those fears at school. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> You're being at God. school. Triggering. That's triggering. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, I think the, um, yeah, the big thing now is that there is a lot more options out there. There's, you know, menstrual undies. There's, uh, yes. you know, there's there's lots of different um, things that you can potentially utilise. Yeah, lots of people have been talking about that. Just finally, Rachel, there's a text here that says, I'd love to know if the pill has any effect on training. Is that something that you can answer? 
Uh, look, it's um, a complex one. There are over 35 different types of hormonal contraception with different formulations of um, hormones in them, and that's the combined oral contraceptive pill. Each of those has different impacts on people. Um, we absolutely know that some forms of hormonal contraception can impact um, aerobic capacity, can impact on um, thermoregulation, so your ability to control your own heat. Um, but it also impacts people if it's you know, positively controlling their medical conditions. So there's a whole range of different mm, factors. Yeah. Um, comes back to it being individual, doesn't individual. it? And Absolutely. just talking about it. Dr. Rachel Harris, thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Sport and exercise physician. So many great texts on this. Absolutely loving these texts. This says we need to talk about periods more. Period. And this is from Russell. It says, hi, Russell here. I just messaged about my teenage daughters and early talk about it. I've just looked at their period trackers and there's so many different ones. What one would you suggest for my daughter in relation to her sport? Have you got a good suggestion? Uh, Russell, use the one that I use. It's called Eve. Yep. I really like that one. And that's helpful. Mm. This text it says, I'm a 40-year-old woman and I still hide it from my own husband some months. I don't want to have to deal with the stigma around mood swings, etc. I'm only starting to understand my own body and it's been thanks to open conversation and society changes around accepting that this is perfectly normal and a natural thing. Anne's in Geelong. Good morning, Anne. Good morning. I just thought listening to your program is very interesting and how things have progressed. I'm in my 80s and I remember I was taught about using rags when I first started my period, but then we were given the money to the luxury of going to the chemist and buying a packet of pads. So you waited till the chemist went out of the counter and waited for the girl to ask for them. And then she came out with it wrapped in newspaper. Oh, my goodness. And you snuck out of the shop. <laughs> wow. So things have changed. I mean, it's been slow. But do you feel like now, and it's really getting quite progressive and it's changing quickly? Like it's taken a long time, but now the change is fast? Oh, I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> it's just great. Yeah, I'm an old midwife, so I know a bit about all the bleeding and all that sort of thing. So, uh, no, I just thought you'd think that was humorous. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's it. That's Walking out with a package program. wrapped in newspaper, your mates might think it's fish and chips and stuff. <laughs> Something totally different. And thank you. Grant is in Croydon. Hi, Grant. Yeah, hi. You know, just about a year ago, I was reading about a, one of the triathletes and the amount of workload that they, they you know, the training and actual competing. And uh, this may have come up earlier, but uh, she uh, did stop menstruating due to the huge workload of, uh, and I think, well, that should have some effects, you, you'd think, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, well, it does. I mean, that's the thing. Sarah? Uh, yes, I was just thinking about uh, the time, when, again, when I was a teenager and I first got my period and then, because uh, I was training so much, I actually ended up with amenorrhea. So not having my period for, for three months at a time, I think there was almost one year where I didn't have it for nine months. So it was always a bit of a cycle. It's a guessing game and then it pops up from nowhere. Mm. And did you ever get to speak to someone, a GP or a gynecologist, about the long-term impacts that that could have on you if your body is just not bleeding when it should? I, I wish I had access to that or even was brave enough to ask, even my ask my mother about it who was actually a nurse. Uh, but you just had to go through it. And, and that actually impacted me from about the age of 15 where I didn't at such irregular cycles till about the age of 35. So it really, it didn't become until my 40s that I actually regulated my period as I started to ease off from the training. So I think it actually has long-term effects. It can. Yeah, and I think it's just that's the beginning where to talk 
to your medical professionals about it, to talk to your coaches about it as well. What sport would you say, just finally, Lauren, is the most progressive when it comes to this? I mean, is it grassroots? I mean, I always look at these conversations and I think, does change happen at the top and filter down to grassroots or does change happen at grassroots and filter up? I think a lot of change does start at a grassroots level and you look at, yes, we were talking about there's some some club rooms are so archaic that you don't have sanitary disposal units in there. But I find when I played footy a couple of years ago, everyone's pretty open about it when you're sitting in the change rooms and someone will say, oh, geez, has someone got a, a pad I can use or a tampon I can use? And those things are starting to change where everyone's more comfortable mm-hmm. talking about it together. And as these conversations about changing uniforms start to come out, well, that's making it into the mainstream media where people are talking about, geez, isn't that a great idea? Mm-hmm. And then it filters back down. So I think it works both ways. Sarah, you must be proud of you know changing those bylaws, instigating that change. Where and how do we get young women and women actually not just young women but all women of culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds that's the next frontier as well ensuring that they feel safe and secure to play sport how can that change mm, absolutely and I, I think we were talking off air a little bit earlier before I, I remember in the uh, early 2000s and we were talking about um, the bikini the sorry the bikini, bikini yes. you know and uh, you know and that was a, a massive change uh, for Muslim girls to be able to participate in sport. And I know there's a research study now with uh, Dr. Tuba Boz uh, from RMIT who's who's doing this particular research on, on Muslim girls in, in sport participation. So, and actually sat on a panel and, and listening to the parents. So, in, you know, they want to let their girls play, but, you know, so there's, there's, there's a lot of cultural sensitivities mm-hmm. that still need to go on. But I think the more we get that education out there and normalise um, that participation I think there's going to be more multicultural um, diversity. And that comes back to having access to all of those things that we're talking about too. Like it might be change rooms or it might be having spaces where women... Uniforms. Uniforms as well so that people do actually feel like they've got that. There was an interesting text that came through earlier and said, you know, maybe we should change some of the betting ads to be sanitary (laughs) item ads or finding a way (laughs) to talk about periods not being taboo. This has been such an incredible conversation. I've lost track of the amount of texts that have come in saying thank you, thank you, thank you for talking about this. Lauren Borden, ABC Grandstand. Thanks, mate, for talking about this. And Sarah Lowe, as always, thank you so much. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Take care and we'll speak to you soon.